cup of tea tales, all the fun of the fair, Roundhay Park memories, fairs in the park and Woodhouse feast. As a child, I remember the excitement of going to the fair. When I was a little boy, it was the small permanent fun fair at Roundy Park, where there was a helter-skelter, some swing boats, and a small roundabout with boats and bosses for the very young. I remember the joy of climbing the little stairs to the top deck of the boss and ringing the bell. It was something that my own children enjoyed when they were tiny. Not much has changed over the years, and at first Roundy had a number of attractions. There was a maze, but this was removed in the 1970s because of an incident that occurred there. Rowing boats on Waterloo Lake, and Roundy School had a couple of boats on the big lake, Waterloo Lake, which were used by the naval cadets. Apparently the lake was built using ex-servicemen after the Napoleonic Wars, hence its name. The lake features heavily in my latest thriller, A Trembling of Finches, which is based in this part of Leeds and the surrounding area. My very earliest memories also included bosses arriving at their terminus, now the car park, and the large wooden shed there called the Lakeside Cafe. There was also the Lido, an open-air swimming pool at the back of the lake near the waterfall. I went once or twice, and even on the hottest days it was freezing cold. Sadly it was removed, which is a shame, but probably the cost of the upkeep was prohibitive, as there were so few days in the year when it could be used. It was also vulnerable to vandalism and unauthorised visitors during the night. There wasn't a cafe above the boat shed in these times, but when the wooden shed was demolished, they built the cafe above the boat shed, edging the lake. When I was very young, the little fair was quite satisfying, but as I got a bit older, we would go to Woodhouse Feast, near Leeds University on Woodhouse Moor. These names obviously hark back to olden times when celebrations and feasting would take place, to mark holy days and the like. The mall was close to the outskirts of Leeds City and was a suitable place for traders and tinkers to sell their wares, entertainers to ply their trade and for the locals to celebrate and have some fun. It also provided an opportunity for the young to meet and court and for locals to purchase items not available at other times of the year. When I attended the feast, it had developed quite a lot but still, it was a place to have fun, meet other teenagers, show off and spend money. As a child, we loved the lights, the sounds, the crowds and the smell that a fair brought. The workers appeared exotic as they often had a darker skin than most Leeds folk, used copious amounts of hair cream, wore tight black jeans and had tattoos. At least the men did. They called to passers-by to get them to buy their wares or to try their hand to win a teddy, or in those days, plaster of Paris ornaments. There were roundabouts, waltzes, swing boats, dodgems and a host of contraptions that would scare the living daylights out of you as a young child. But for teenagers, they were an opportunity to show your masculinity by fearlessly hanging off the bars as you were spun around or by bashing your dodgem head-on into another and laughing at the joy of it. 
the girls would be enraptured by the bravado of the fairground boys who danced between the whirling horses collecting fees, darting between the dodgems and hung off the bars at the back and walked backwards collecting money on the waltzes as the floor went up and down. They never missed a beat. They were poised, relaxed masters of impressing teenage girls. There were local lads who would emulate their feats, but due to lack of practice, they never quite cut the mustard. For us kids, it was hook the duck, darts into playing cards, air rifle ranges, rolling pennies onto a square grid, bran tubs, coconut shies and ping-pong balls into goldfish bowls. The most sought-after prize was a goldfish. The poor creatures were hanging in plastic bags, and if you were lucky enough to win one, you'd carry it around as a prized possession until you got home. After our first win, my parents took us to the pet shop at Hairhills, where we bought a bowl, a little weed and goldfish food. With two brothers, there was a good chance that we would get at least one or two on a visit to the fair. However, in most cases, the poor fish would be lucky to live out the weekend. But the good news was that we were prepared for future fairs with the bowl and equipment already waiting. In fairness, there were one or two fish that were clearly made of sterner stuff than the usual run-of-the-mill goldfish, and they survived for much longer periods. I can well remember being entranced by their shimmering scales and their fluid movement around their restricted new home. It was not just the rides and prizes. The whole experience was a whirl of lights, sounds and smells. The ground underfoot was trodden into mud and you had to carefully step over electrical cables that ran from generators that thumped a rhythm in the background, almost drowning out the blaring hip music of the time. Buddy Holly and the Crickets, Bill Haley, Elvis and the like filled the air and added to the excitement. The fair was the facade of celebration, but lurking behind were the caravans and homes of the workers. Some were chrome, bright paint and affluence, but most were fairly run down. Lorries, trucks and vans were waiting to carry them to a new location after only a few days. The senses were overload and smells of food wafted everywhere, tempting us to buy and taste their wares. Toffee apples, brandy snaps, donuts, ice creams, all were available, as well as the truly magical-looking candy floss. The machines that spun the sugar were entertainment on their own. Lurid dyes were added, bright pink, green, yellow. They were sticky, sweet, and must have cost almost nothing to make, but managed to extract the few remaining coins we had. It was a tired but happy family that would return to the car, nurse our fish or other prizes, and drive home. There was a similar fare that would arrive every year at Roundhay Park. This dwarfed the permanent amusements, but I'm sure they didn't mind the extra trade the main fare brought. This fare would be set on the rise adjacent to the big lake, by the boathouse car park and the bus shed. It could have been the same as the one from Woodhouse, but I don't think so. It had all the same sort of entertainments, and one I'd forgotten was the strength-testing machines. There were two main types. The originals used a large wooden mallet that was swung and hit a post, and the strength was recorded on a gauge. The strongest of blows sounded a bell. The second type 
involved a punch ball. You thumped the ball as hard as you could and it recorded the power on a large dial. The strongest blows would similarly sound a bell. These were another alternative for men and boys to demonstrate their physical prowess in front of potential admirers. I remember one specific incident on the Dodgems when I was a teenager in the late 1960s. A group of us were there, and it was an afternoon session that wasn't particularly busy. There was a group from Alison Grange on some of the other cars, and I was in one with my friend. Only about half the cars were running, and there was the usual lad in the kiosk controlling the power, and another who was collecting money and policing behaviour. Times had changed a little, and front-on collisions were supposedly banned. Health and safety gone mad. This clearly hadn't been taken on board by the assembled teenagers, and there were a lot of crashes, cheers, cries and general mirth as the cars crashed head-on and backs lifted off the ground with force. At the rear of the car was a rod that reached vertically up to the wire netting ceiling that supplied the power to the car. At the top of the rod was a metal shoe that dragged along the netting, keeping the contact and the power supplied, but regularly sparking. There was the powerful smell of what I now assume was ozone from the sparks. I suppose this was the one part that wore out frequently, and I think they just slotted onto the top of the pole. On this occasion, there was a lad on his own in one car. There was shouting and crashes almost drowned out by music. I watched almost in slow motion as two dodgems collided. It must have been a freak occurrence, but the metal shoe jumped off the top of the pole and fell down onto the boy driving. The side of the shoe struck him on the forehead just above the eye. Suddenly blood poured down his face, turning it red. It all happened in a fraction of a second. The man in the kiosk must have seen what had happened as the power was turned off and the cars just stopped. Everyone's attention was drawn to the poor lad. The man from the kiosk ran over carrying what looked like a tea towel and he clamped it onto the forehead of the now sobbing lad. Nowadays I'm sure there would have been first aid kits and first aiders, but then there didn't appear to be. He was helped out of the dodgem and led away. I suppose an ambulance must have been called, but I didn't see it. And within seconds the dodgem was pushed to the side, power was restored and the show was back on. My friend and I saw him several weeks later and he was proud to show us his impressive scar. He was quite lucky not to have lost his eye and I do not know whether there was an inquiry into the accident, but maybe not. Parents were not as quick to sue as they are nowadays, and accidents were more accepted without anyone needing to be blamed. During the day, the fairs were reasonably safe and respectable places, and this was the case in the evening when children were about. Later at night, however, I believe fights often broke out between local groups of boys and the fair workers. This may have resulted from jealousy, as the workers chatted up local girls. I never really saw this, but there was a reputation that the fair lads had knives and would use them. As the fifties and sixties moved through, there were also confrontations between teddy boys, mods, rockers and later skinheads and punks. 
adrenaline, testosterone and teenagers are a dangerous mix, and I'm sure that it has always been so. The fairs were always short-lived. There was a day or two of setting up, and after five or so days the fair was dismantled and they disappeared heading to new venues until they returned the next year. When they'd gone, the ground was left trampled and weary, but in a surprisingly short time it recovered, and there was not a trace, except for the memories of those who had attended and the surviving goldfish in the bowl. If you enjoy my tales, then you might be interested to know that paperback versions are available. The first, Cup of Tea Tales, The Early Years, and the second, Another Cup of Tea Tales, the teenage years. These are also available as ebooks on Kindle. <laughs>